talks first, you talk first, I talk first. Hey everybody, welcome back to Han Talks First. This is, of course, Han, the captain of this podcast, leading you through uncharted territory within the unknown regions of the galaxy, talking about Star Wars and how much we love it. And it's a very special episode today because, as I promised, the long-awaited my ranking of the Star Wars movies is finally here. I've been asked a lot for it over the past years, actually. And I I always set goals for myself. And one of my goals was to reach a 1,000 subscribers to this podcast. And I told you all, once I get to a 1,000 subscribers, then I will release my ranking episode for the movies. And with explanation why they're in those positions. Again, just to kind of incentivize myself and my listeners too. And I just cannot thank you guys enough for that support because we hit our first goal, which is incredible. And currently, at the time that I'm recording this podcast, we surpassed it by 817 new subscribers. So we're currently at 1,817 subscribers to the Han Talks First podcast. Welcome to everybody that is new and a big thank you to everyone who has been with us for a very long time. Now, this is the extended version. I will be releasing a condensed version on the YouTube channel, which will cover the basics, but this one, for the podcast listeners, for my audio friends and family out there who have been supporting me much longer than I have been on YouTube... Uh, you guys will get this episode early and exclusive, and of course, with extra dialogue from me, explaining why each movie is in its respective spot. So I hope you appreciate that, and I, you know, it's late where I am right now at the time of recording this, but I finally finished my list, and I laid out my thoughts, and I'm ready to give it to you, and we're going to start from my least favorite up to my most favorite. And for a lot of you who have been with us for a long time, you probably know already a rough idea of what my order is. If not, you probably already know my top three. So I'm very curious to see if your guesses are accurate or not. So if you'd like to let me know, you can hit me up on social media at Hontalks first. But all that out of the way, let's just bypass all the niceties and foreplay and just jump right into my ranking. So, starting off in spot number nine, The Last Jedi. Now, each trilogy of Star Wars films has to have a weakest link. And for me, for the sequels, that's The Last Jedi. There's nothing like a good movie. And The Last Jedi is nothing like a good movie. Now, this movie is a favorite among many of you Star Wars fans out there, so it is not my goal to take that away from anybody. But here, I'm going to list some of my reasons why that it is in my last spot in my ranking. But in order to do that, I have to take you all the way back to when I first saw the film in December of 2017. So when I first saw The Last Jedi, I felt this loss of the very thing that Star Wars movies had always given me, which was hope. Now again, 
Some of you are going to disagree with this, and that's totally fine. I'm not saying I am right or you're wrong. I'm also not saying that you're right and I'm wrong. I'm just saying that this, these movies are subjective, and the whole point is that we have different understandings of them, and this one is specifically mine. For me, the story felt very chaotic in its tone and also in its themes, and I think it suffered from plot saturation. I actually, when I was watching it for the first time, I didn't know what it was trying to tell. I didn't know what this movie was about, and I didn't know where it wanted to go. I didn't know what its narrative function was trying to be. You know, it was also the first time a Star Wars movie for me had ever felt very small as opposed to a grand space adventure that we're used to in this franchise's predecessors. And what I mean by that is, of course, one, the passage of time between films, which picks up immediately where Episode Seven left off, but also the passage of time in duration of the film in real time for when the action is happening. It is a very quick set of events, which I believe takes place within only a couple hours of each other in, in screen time. So it's almost like watching the action play out in real time itself. But for me, because it did that, we kind of stayed in one location, which was hovering in space above that one planet for a little while. And then it hovered in space on another planet, but mainly taking place inside both respective ships of the First Order and of the Resistance base, which is fine. But I would one thing that Star Wars did for us ever since the very beginning was world building. And it set up world building very nice. And that's one thing that I kind of missed from this episode of the saga films was getting out to new worlds. And you could argue we went to, went to um, what is it called? The Casino World. I can't even remember the name of it. But let's be honest. <laughs> There's a lot of fans who both like and dislike the movie that come together and say that going to that casino planet was kind of a waste of oh, of time, and not a lot of people liked it. Some people, also, of course, did like that scene, and I respect that, of course, but that's just one of the issues I had with this movie. I do recognize, however, that this movie had very great visual effects and wonderful music by John Williams. Now, I'm not just going to, of course, talk about the things I dislike. I, I'm going to share the things that I do appreciate because I think that's the responsibility of get it, giving a fair critique is sharing both respects of the films. So another facet of it, this film that I did really enjoy was the marketing. Some of you might not consider that to be a factor in play, but for me it was. This was honestly the my favorite of all the films marketing. And to this day, that first Last Jedi trailer is still my favorite Star Wars trailer of all time. You can, actually all three of them, all three of the trailers that came out are some of my favorite trailers, not just in Star Wars, but of all cinema history. I mean, when you hear that line uttered from Luke Skywalker, it's time for the Jedi to end. Goosebumps. Even today, when I go back and rewatch the trailer, I'm in awe by it. It is a fascinating attempt at getting people out to the theaters to watch this film. You know, the things that didn't work for me were, as mentioned, things like a vapid screenplay, poor directing choices, and an uninspiring story. Some of the, some of the film's ideas 
were fascinating in its concept alone. But I do believe that with a little bit more care for the script, I really think this film could have been something special. I've gone into detail about what concepts I think are very fascinating. And I'm not going to share all those here because this is a very general discussion on all nine films. But if you want to learn more, you can go back and listen to my Last Jedi review discussions. There's, I think, three different parts all across the podcast. But this is my reasoning behind The Last Jedi being in spot number nine. Now, spot number eight. This is where things get a little bit more relevant and maybe a little bit more relatable to other people's lists out there in the universe. So number eight is The Rise of Skywalker, episode nine. Yes, this movie has a lot of problems. But if you put that aside, this is still a fun, nonsensical ride from beginning to end. And that, therein lies the problem. You see, this film never gave itself a chance to breathe. It was a nonstop ride from beginning to end. And that disconnected me as a viewer. It's really hard to discover the motifs of a film when every five minutes our characters are running away from something and often running away from things and they don't know why they're running away from them or where they're running to. The emotional character moments were lost in the visual noise of this movie and it also never resolved who these people were. This wasn't just a closing chapter of the sequel trilogy. This was a bookend to a 40-year-long epic. I mean, and as far as the new characters go, you know, Finn never told Rey that he was Force-sensitive. Rey never truly discovered her true independence. We never found out what Poe was fighting for. Kylo Ren's redemption was so forced that we never learned who Ben Solo was in the end. I mean, Ben Solo didn't even say a single line of dialogue when he came back to the light. These are just a few examples, and, you know, some of you might have answers for me, and if you do, share them with me. I'd love to, you know, be enlightened, and maybe you'll teach me something. Uh, Another example is, of course, Palpatine. Palpatine returned because... He's evil, I guess? Very forced. Pun not intended. You know, to me, the best part about this film was Ian McDermott, who was actually a last-minute casting decision, which leads me to wonder what this movie would have looked like without him in it. Would it have any redeeming qualities at all? It's a tough question. Now, there are parts of this film that I do really enjoy. Not just Ian McDermott's parts, but visually, it is, I think it is fascinating. I thought the opening scene was great. You know, it really felt like I was getting back into Star Wars again and getting out of that feeling I had when I came out of The Last Jedi. And I really felt like it was getting back to tone, back to formula, so to speak. And I can rewatch this movie. I can. Parts of it is hard. But... I still enjoy some parts of this film. I just think this didn't feel like an ending or a finale as it was supposed to. And a lot of that has to do with planning. None of the sequel trilogy films were planned. It's apparent. It's actually factual now because we have had confirmation from the studio and from the creators themselves. 
which is a true shame. But you know what? If anything Star Wars has taught us, it's to have hope. We can hope that the studios, the creators, and the future writers of the franchise have learned from these mistakes, and the next series of films we get, the next television shows, the next animations, whatever it may be, will possibly be better, more planned, and thoughtful, heartfelt material that we can all enjoy. But that's my number eight's position. Moving on to number seven, The Phantom Menace. Yet another major letdown for most of the Star Wars fans out there. You know, this movie holds my seventh spot in my list, similarly to The Last Jedi, because of its chaotic tone. You know, oddly enough, I, I still find The Phantom Menace to be an extremely watchable film. I love watching this movie. Uh, you know, I'm, it's not because it's nostalgic to me, because I was a very small child when this movie came out. I actually don't even remember seeing it in theaters. Now, I do remember playing with the action figures, so that may have something to do with it, because I had them all, and they went with me everywhere I went. But there's something about this film that is just super engaging to me, and I, I love sitting down and watching it. Of course, there are parts I can skip, such as the political mumbo-jumbo and the Senate meetings, yada yada. But everything else, I really love. You know, it's an achievement in visual effects, achievement in sound, and of course, digital filmmaking. And they were all decades ahead of its time, and it has to be commended for that. The pod race scene. Oh my god, the pod race scene. Everything I just mentioned is the pod race scene. It is a masterclass in achievements in filmmaking. Everything from sound to visuals to, to puppetry to model making to pacing, editing, everything is structured around this pod race scene. And I can watch it over and over and over. It never gets old. It's incredible to watch on the biggest screen you can with the best sound system. It's riveting. And... It's even better to go online and go to YouTube and see extended versions of the pod race scene, which, by the way, you can watch on my YouTube channel if you want to. I posted an extended version of the pod race, which has a bunch of extra clips and footage that didn't make it into the final cut. But easily, this is my favorite moment of The Phantom Menace. Yes, even more than the Duel of the Fates fight, the pod race scene is my favorite. And it's in my ranking of what I believe to be some of the most iconic moments in Star Wars history. And if you want to hear my full list on that, we did an episode. It was actually our second episode ever. Me and my friend Zach, we did a ranking of the top 10 most iconic moments in Star Wars, and the pod race scene was one of mine. Now, however, all of these great things seem to be canceled out with wooden filmmaking. You know, on paper, The Phantom Menace has a really good story to tell. But it's the execution that distracts the audience from that. And it's just that. If George Lucas had put as much love and attention to the writing, just as he did with its visual effects and editing, like in the pod race scene, I believe this film would have been significantly better. It's obvious that Luke, George Lucas's goal and ideal for Star Wars at this time was to push the boundaries of filmmaking and pave the way for future filmmakers to come in and 
just changed the game, which he did, of course. People didn't realize it until later, but he did that. But you can't just do those things. You have to also tell a good story. You have to do what this medium was intended to do in the first place, not just entertain, but tell a good story. And there is a good story there. It's just the way it was executed and the writing, the dialogue. It could have been a tad bit direct, uh, could have been a tad bit better. From the director to the dialogue to the lack of overall directional awareness. This is why The Phantom Menace is in my number spot position. Going on to number six, we're talking about Attack of the Clones. Now, this is the first movie to be shot completely on digital. And by first movie, I mean first contemporary, theatrically released film. There were films before it, of course, but nothing that was as significant or impactful as a Star Wars film. Now, just because something is the first doesn't mean it's good. This movie was beloved by me as a child. Hell, even today. Uh, I'll say it. I'm an apologist. (laughs) The lightsaber fights. The speeder chase at the beginning of the film. The side story with Obi-Wan on this detective hunt. But let's face it, the visual effects were out of control. The love scenes were creepy. The dialogue was worse than it was before, which is hard to believe because George Lucas actually brought on another writer to help him with that very problem. That's true. I can't remember the guy's name right now. Jonathan something, but it's, it's in the credits of the film. And it was stated by George he was brought in someone to help him with the love scenes and to make the dialogue a little bit better, but it, clearly it didn't work. The biggest takeaway from this movie is that Darth Vader doesn't like sand. No! Okay, kidding aside, the story is there. It's shrouded behind a bunch of political speak, but it's there, similar to The Phantom Menace. On paper, all of the prequel movies have an incredible, fascinating, riveting myth to them that I think will be talked about for years. You know, whether they're beloved now or not. But you see, every five years or so, the prequels seem to come back to the light and get everybody's attention, and everyone's talking about them again. It's that magic behind that George Lucas touch of filmmaking. But again, I wish he had more collaborators on this film, just like he did with the original trilogy. And I think they would have been just a little bit better. You know, we find out in this film that the Emperor was manipulating the war. We found out what the Clone Wars wars were. And it also has some great setups for how Anakin would turn into Vader. One of the good examples I'll pick out of this film that is actually one of my... Another favorite scene in all of Star Wars is the scene where Anakin's mother dies in his arms. I believe that's one of the... I, I believe that's the best scene in Attack of the Clones. And one of the better scenes in all of the prequel films. It's so powerful magnificent, and the accompanying music is fit to perfection. It is a great scene, and if all of this movie was just like that scene, it would have been a great film, because it was this moment where we see the transition from Anakin to Vader. We see what makes him tick, what starts to push him off his rocker, and it makes us want to know more. And we really didn't get much of the transitional period. We got a bunch of little things that led up to it and some stuff in Revenge of the Sith, but Attack of the Clones 
I just believe we could have had more. And that's what makes it in spot number six. Okay, we're about halfway. We're at spot number five. And number five is reserved for Return of the Jedi. We're starting to get into the positives now, everybody. Return of the Jedi. When I was a kid, I found this to be the most boring of the original trilogy. (laughs) But with age, I found that this was a very satisfying film. I didn't know it yet, but this film actually taught me a lot, a lot of life lessons. It taught me the importance of family, friendship, and self-discovery. But most importantly, this film tells us that doing the right thing doesn't always bring positive results, such as giving up riches, sacrificing friends, and accepting terrible truths. It was an excellent epilogue to an amazing trilogy. It had laughs, love, and death-defying adventure. My favorite part of this movie has always been Luke's confrontation with his father. Whether it was fighting him on the Death Star or a meaningful conversation on the balcony on the moon of Endor. Even as a kid, this was my favorite part. My least favorite part was when Yoda died. I remember looking to my grandmother and being like in tears <laughs> as, as a kid and being like, why does he have to go? You know, it, powerful stuff. It, it, it relates to all ages. That's another great thing about Return of the Jedi. It's the maturation of all these characters that we grew up with in the previous two films. You know, the second act is what has less regard in my praises and what makes it in my fifth position on my ranking. You know, I think the Ewoks' involvement with the film was a little bit too long and a little bit too corny and uh, a little bit too much. And its silly tone overall did not contrast very well with the very serious plot between Luke's and his his teachers like Yoda and Obi-Wan, his confrontation with Vader, and then, of course, his final confrontation with the Emperor, juxtaposing that with the silliness that was going on on the forest moon of Endor was just, it it was very, it was too brash, and it was jumping back in tone too much. And it can work. I mean, we saw with Empire that kind of stuff can work, but for me, this is where it got a little messy. You know, I still believe it's a masterful film, but it's still in my fifth place. Moving on to number four, though. We're talking about another legendary film. And I can already hear some of your jaws hitting the floor when I say (laughs) that Empire Strikes Back is my number four. And it isn't even in my top three. But hear me out, okay? Hear me out. So there are movies in this world. And then there are films. Empire Strikes Back is a film. It is cinema at its purest form, okay? Writing, cinematography, performances, score, framing, production design, and whatever the hell else that's put into film is achieved at its apex level in this epic film. If this movie had lungs, it would sing. When George Lucas decided to only act as writer and executive producer on the film, and he brought in Irving Kirshner, which was in the best decision he ever made. Irving Kirshner brought to life the most thought-provoking, the most heartfelt, uh, 
and visionary exhibition of filmmaking that had ever been done before. At least some people believe that. And it changed movies forever. More specifically, the genre forever. This movie is also ballsy. You know, it broke the rules of what was done at its time in storytelling. Examples such as having a supporting actor be a Muppet, a.k.a. Yoda, being voiced by Frank Oz, who was a voice of many different Muppets in the past. Another example is separating its three main characters to go on all individual arcs and not having your sole focus be on the main protagonist, Luke Skywalker. Ballsy stuff. And this also introduced new deep themes and genre-bending ideas in science fiction and adventure and fantasy, kind of melding them all together and making something very mature. And even still, with all these new elements involved, the film doesn't feel complex. It doesn't feel complex at all. It's very easy to follow. And it feels like a simple story when you're watching it. But that's what makes it so well-made and so well-told. Empire Strikes Back captures the wow factor that every movie ever made wishes that it could by bringing out the spectacular within the mundane. Just like Joseph Campbell said when he wrote Hero with a Thousand Faces, or the hero's journey mapped out in 12 different stages, what makes something special is having something spectacular within the mundane something magical in everyday life. You know, a lot of people will say that The Empire Strikes Back is probably the best film ever made. A lot of Star Wars fans will say it's the best made Star Wars film. I will agree with that. I do believe The Empire Strikes Back is the best made Star Wars film. However, it is not my favorite. In my ranking, it is number four. So let's move on and find out what my top three are. So getting into number three, it is episode three, Revenge of the Sith. The dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. First of all, (laughs) let's talk about Ian McDermott. Ian McDermott in this movie is just absolutely, may I curse, Fucking legendary, okay? Every scene he is in is captivating. This movie is just as much a Darth Sidious tale as it is about Anakin Skywalker. You know, the reason that this is in my number three spot is because of the rewatch factor. Not because it's a better film than Empire. (laughs) Because I can rewatch this film over and over and over and never get bored. And every single time that I watch this movie... I pick up on something new, whether I've, it's finding a new animation in the background that I never noticed before, or a subtle character moment that grooms the narrative further. And for that example, I want to give you this. If you go back and watch the movie, really pay attention to the scene, which is called Padme's Ruminations. And in this scene, it's the part where Padme is sitting in her apartment alone, and Parallel to that, Anakin is sitting at the Jedi Council waiting for, um, I almost said Sam Jackson, (laughs) waiting for Mace Windu to come back after confronting Palpatine. And they're both sitting separately in their own little dojos and reflecting on what is happening in the world around them. 
and also reflecting on their own life, their own personal life with each other. And the symmetry of that scene, the poetry, the voiceover from Ian McDermott, Darth Sidious, communicating to Anakin through the Force, the, the telepathy between Padme and Anakin in that scene, I could go on. I could go on and on for this scene. The music, everything about it, the framing, the artwork, the, the composition of the shot, it's all, everything I love about this film is summed up in that scene alone. So please, I really encourage you to go back and check that scene out because I really think it is the best scene of this film and easily one of the best scenes of the prequel trilogy total. Revenge of the Sith is obviously the best of the prequel films. It has this poetic nature to it. You could also look at the Obi-Wan and Anakin brawl on Mustafar. Some say that it's too long, and the part where they're like just waving their lightsabers around, around is a little cheesy. It is a little cheesy, but look, it's long because it should be. That fight at the end is about two men who love each other so much that they won't even take the final blow to kill each other, and they're only fighting like this because they're prolonging the inevitable. It's a beautiful fight. And parallel with that, you have Padme dying by her, her loss of hope in her husband. <laughs> dying of a broken heart. Yes, it's cheesy, but it's romantic. It's Shakespearean. It's, it's, it's tragic. It's a tragedy. It's the fall of Anakin Skywalker and the rise of Darth Vader. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story that you can tell is the one that George Lucas had been wanting to tell for over 28 years when he first sat down with a pen and paper and wrote Star Wars, <laughs> The Adventures of Luke Starkiller, as told to us by the Journal of the Wills, right? It's a great film. You could also, you know, the second you turn it on and you watch that opening scene with the big war in space mind-blowing. It's amazing. It's, it's something that I really wish I could have remembered watching in the movie theater. I hope I can someday. But, alas, it is only number three. So we're getting close to our, the end of our time here, everybody. So before I get into the last two, we're just going to take a quick moment here and hear about the sponsor of today's episode. Okay, back to the countdown. Two spots left, Getting into number two, it is The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens was easily one of the best movie theater experiences I ever had. I, I remember getting dressed up for one of the first times I ever cosplayed to a theater. <laughs> uh, maybe the first time was actually for the movie Kick-Ass, which came out in 2009. I dressed up as Kick-Ass and went. It was one of those comic book, uh, Comic-Con things that we did. But anyway, The Force Awakens was the first time I ever went to a Star Wars movie in cosplay. I went with my brother. It was a nice experience for us. We saw it opening night. And it's actually kind of funny. So at the time, I was, I used to work at a movie theater back when The Force Awakens came out. And I had worked there for about a year and then December was approaching and everyone at the movie theater was freaking out because Star Wars was about to release, which meant the theaters were going to be overrun with, uh, with customers, right? And we didn't have enough staff, yada, yada, yada. We had a bunch of meetings about it, etc. So here's the funny story. The night that our manager of the building gave us 
a, a big meeting, how to prepare for what was going to happen opening night of Star Wars. After the meeting was over, I walked up to her and I said, look, you know I'm a massive Star Wars fan. And I know this isn't what you want to hear, but <laughs> Thursday night when The Force Awakens comes out, even if I'm on the schedule, I will not be here from my shift. <laughs> I said, if you don't like it, I don't have to come back. I, I will I will gladly <laughs> lose this job, but I have been waiting for this movie <laughs> for, what was it at the time, three years since they announced it. I was like, I've been waiting for this film for three years. I'm not missing my shot to watch it opening night with my brother and a bunch of fans in costume, <laughs> surrounded by the force. And luckily, my boss was like, look, I get it. I know you're a huge Star Wars fan. I know this is a big deal. You're excused. But you have to work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> and I did. But she let me have opening night. And even with that, I still stayed after my shift and watched Star Wars again after work each day for the next seven days. <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, but that's my funny short story about this film. Now, yes, The Force Awakens, yes, it's a new hope from a certain point of view. Yes, it's all setup and no delivery. I don't care. I freaking love this movie. This movie is a fun ride from beginning to end. <laughs> the story is built on this idea that Luke Skywalker may not have been a myth after all, and that there is still hope in the galaxy. Again, kind of reiterating what A New Hope had set up back in 1977, but under new terms. It's a good representation of our world today. And what I mean by that is, like, we can't let history go on forgotten, or we might not learn from our mistakes. <clears throat> Death Star. <clears throat> anyway. Now, look, I, th I thought this film brought back the tone of Star Wars that was lost from the late 80s. You know, it felt like we were back in that same world again just a few decades later. Because, of course, the prequels weren't at all reminiscent of the Star Wars tone from the late 70s, early 80s. And that's okay. That's how it was supposed to be. The prequels were a different time. It's a different era. It's a different story. But this film had to return back to it. It had to feel like it was connected in some way. And I feel like it did. I think it did a pretty good job doing that, actually. And again, it brings back the themes, the main theme, of course, of balance. You know, lightness and darkness rising to meet each other. Where, where light rises, dark will counter. Where dark rises, light will counter, etc. But there was a little bit more to these characters than there were back in the 70s when we were introduced to the original three. They all seem connected in a very different way that hadn't been done before. And that was with, as the title of the film suggests, The Force Had Awoken. Now, this was something that was a very interesting concept that I don't think ever reached its full potential in all three of the sequel films. But it was a nice idea. I would really like to get back into it someday because the title alone is a powerful title. The Force Awakens. That not only told the audience that, hey, Star Wars is returning, but that there's more to the Force that we don't know. Just talking about it makes me really, I won't say disappointed because I do love this movie, but just kind of still waiting to get those answers that were set up in this movie. Still waiting to figure out how Maz got the lightsaber. Still waiting to 
truly figure out what Ray's own independent view of herself is. To still figure out Ben Solo, Princess Leia, Han Solo, what happened to them all, it still leaves me wondering. And that might be why it's only in my number three. But hey, it's in... I meant uh, number two, sorry. And hey, it's only in my number two because this film brought back Star Wars. And I think they did it in a, in a great way. A nostalgic way, but for the time, it worked. So now... Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for number one. You all know what it is. You knew what it was when we started this podcast. Don't don't kid yourself. Don't don't lie. I know you all knew. I'm not an idiot. I talk about it all the time. Do I even have to say it? Do I even have to say what my favorite movie is? Do I have to tell you what? Okay, number one, A New Hope. Here are three words that describe this movie perfectly. Innovation, imagination, adventure. There. I don't really have to say anything else. (laughs) Those three words sum it up exactly as it is. This is my favorite Star Wars film. I can watch it every day and never get bored. And actually, I have. My Blu-ray disc doesn't work anymore because I wore it down so much. (laughs) True story. Um, This film inspires me. You know, I really relate with Luke Skywalker, as I think we all can in some ways, such as coming from or feeling like you come from nothing and you have to make something of yourself or feeling like you might not be able to make something of yourself. Having a dream that you feel like you can't obtain because of suppression, whether that suppression is from family or work or your environment, your living conditions. You know, thinking about the scene of Luke Skywalker looking out at the Twin Suns, the horizon of a whole galaxy that awaits possibilities. It's not just a beautiful shot. It's us. It's every person at some point in their life. It represents a choice about becoming a man or becoming an adult, taking your own, taking your life into your own hands and going forth with it. You know, self-discovery is the key to the hero's journey. It's when you leave home and you return after some time has passed and you learn a few things and you return as someone new. Not just the story, but also the comedy of this film, I think, really works. You know, it's a little oddball. It's not, you know, silly in a way where it's like slapstick, but it's like diegetic humor. It feels like it's in the moment. One of my favorite moments of this film is actually when they are in the prison area rescuing Princess Leia. Someone calls in over the intercom, and it's just like, hey, what's going on down there? And Hansel was just like, oh, no, I just had a blaster malfunction. We're all good here. Everything's fine. Uh, how are you? <laughs> it's so stupid, right? It's so stupid, but it feels so natural. And then he gets agitated, and he shoots the the intercom, and it's just like it was a boring conversation anyway. And then, of course, you have Princess Leia. I could talk about this movie all day. And just get in the garbage chute, fly boy. All these things just make this movie so incredibly magnificent. You know, Princess Leia alone, I could spend a whole episode talking about her and how fantastic Carrie Fisher was in this movie. The ensemble of all these memorable characters is just... It it, it makes Star Wars special. It's what made these movies possible. 
And there's also the music. Oh my God, the music. John Williams making his impression in the world of film scoring. The special effects, groundbreaking effects here. Han Solo. And of course, McClunky. It's all goofy and it's just all amazing. I think if we had to talk about a standout feature of A New Hope that kind of separates it from every other film in the Skywalker saga, I would say it's the editing. The editing is definitely the major standout for me. If you look at the pacing of this film from its opening of two droids walking in a desert for what seems like 20 minutes to the space fight on the Death Star, it, it never feels like it drags on. And it's not conventional style editing. You know, it, it doesn't feel like everything is expected. It really feels like you're living in the moment with these characters and going through their obstacles with them. The movie was like 12 parsecs ahead of its time in its editing. You could also say as far as its character structure too, the way it was told, and also in its world building, getting back to that uh, idea that we mentioned earlier. This movie introduced world building to a whole new level that had never been done before. Yeah, you could have seen that with Star Trek in the 60s, in the first original three seasons, but this did it in a way that it was something we hadn't seen before, where the world felt lived in and broken down, and it destroyed all of our ideas of this the, a future that was always a utopia. And it made us realize that, hey, the future may not always be bright. And it did it in a very nonchalant way. And the only time that this movie was ever surpassed in its advancements in filmmaking was by its sequel, Empire Strikes Back. This is the movie for me that made me a Star Wars fan. And that's why it's in my number one spot. It's been in my number one spot for a very long time. And it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I... I could go on and on about not just this film, but all of the films. This, this movie right here, A New Hope, changed everything. It changed the game, not just for me, but for you, whoever's listening, and for your friends, your neighbors. Everyone knows what Star Wars is. It's something really special. And with that, that's my list, everybody. So just to kind of recap... Going back in order, number nine, The Last Jedi. Number eight, The Rise of Skywalker. Number seven, The Phantom Menace. Number six, Attack of the Clones. Number five, Return of the Jedi. Number four, Empire Strikes Back. Number three, Revenge of the Sith. Number two, The Force Awakens. And number one, Star Wars, A New Hope. Guys, I can't thank you enough if you made it all the way to the end of this episode. Thanks for hanging out with me and listening to my thoughts on this ranking. I know a lot of you have been asking for it, and I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please rate this podcast. You know, you can do it on Spotify and Apple now. And feel free to subscribe if you're new. If you're new here, welcome. You know, happy to have you. We're doing really well with our subscribers and our growth. I'm really pleased. I can't believe we've made it this far already. You know, really inspires me. It inspires me a lot. It makes me want to do more, not just podcasting, but other things in my life. Um, but this is great, everybody. There, there will be a video version of this available on YouTube later on at some point, but you guys, the true fans, 
the audio listeners, you get it first. And if you want to see some visuals to go along with this, maybe a little bit more uh, different, you know, commentary from me on the movies, go check out the video at some point. But there's also tons of other videos on the channel too. We're doing a lot recently, a bunch of Lego reviews, of course, the Book of Boba Fett, yada yada, anything you want to see. But hey guys, thank you so much for being here. Reach out to me on social media at Han Talks First. I'd love to talk with you guys. I try to respond to everybody. And until next time, somehow, someway, somewhere this week, may the force be with you. So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first.